Hello, and welcome to the With Jay Burke Show. My name is Jason Burke, and though I'm technically the host of this podcast, it's the guests who truly take top billing. This is a place for curious minds who enjoy civil and sometimes Mandarin conversation. If you appreciate a few laughs or want to come away with new knowledge or a simple understanding of subjects that aren't always easy to break down, you're the person I want listening to this podcast. The American dream is a loaded phrase. No matter what age you are as an American, you've had it drilled into your head from the time you were born. If you listen to pundits or peek at your social media lately, the American dream doesn't exist to most Americans, mostly because we're listening to everyone's collective nightmares and random thoughts without any filters. But America still is the land of opportunity for some, even if America still has a long way to go when it comes to equity of opportunity. Christelle Biga can relate to both versions of this America. She came here five years ago. She could barely speak English and had no one waiting for her, like so many do from other parts of the world. Because she was told you could make yourself here. She landed in California expecting the warm sun and the opportunity living here affords. Her story doesn't start there, though. Christelle was stopped at the airport by an immigration officer and thrown into a detention center for nine months. She didn't know when she was going to get out or if she would. She leaned on others to get her through. But in the end, Christelle's American dream was finding out what she could endure. Today, Christelle is a motivational speaker, a coach, and TV talk show for the Roku channels Living the Dream. I hope you enjoy this episode because I certainly did. And Christelle offers a lot of insight. She taught me that there's hope no matter where we are and where we start. I hope you find that too. So enjoy the Christelle Biga with Jay Burke Show. Watch out. You might get what you're after. Hello and welcome to the With Jay Burke Show. My name is Jason Burke and though I'm technically the host of this podcast, it's the guests who truly take top billing. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Christelle Biga. Christelle is a motivational speaker, coach, and TV talk show host. Her TV show, Living the Dream, is streaming on Roku right now, but she has an amazing story to share with us. Christelle, welcome. Thank you so much, Jason. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? You apparently you're doing very well from from what I've seen and heard. Yes, I mean, can't complain. Yeah. I think I'm I'm doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you got to this country when 5 years ago? Yes, this is my 6th year actually and it was quite a ride to say the least. You know, uh I left my country in Cameroon that's in Africa all excited to, you know, start a new adventure and pursue my American dream. Moved in here, not speaking English. I had no one here, no friends, no family. And, you know, I chose Los Angeles because I got my visa in December. And one thing I knew about the United States, even though I've never been here, was that it was winter time. And I had no business to do with winter. <laughs> so <laughs> I went on Google. I searched a state, a place where I could go without having to deal with the snow. 
And Los Angeles was one of them. And I said, okay, let's go there. There is Hollywood there. That should be fine. And I landed at LAX. Well, the dream went a little sour from there because an immigration officer decided to deport me because he said I was coming to work as a prostitute. Not sure where that came from, (laughs) but he probably saw something that I didn't know about. Anyway, fast forward, I, you know, ended up in a detention center to wait for a judge to make a decision if I was going to be deported or not. And it took me nine months there in that space because I didn't have a lawyer. I didn't have anybody here to hire a lawyer for me. And every time I'll go to court, it'll be, you have a lawyer? No, okay, come back next month. And nine months later, finally, I was, you know, released and granted the right to stay in the country. Now, I could have signed a deportation paper and just go back. Okay, I didn't have Mm -hmm. to stay for nine months. It wasn't a requirement. But it was a decision that I had to make, you know, every day because that piece of paper was available to me anytime. I could have just decided to say, you know what? Why am I in jail? Because, yeah, they call it detention center, but it's jail, right? They wake you up at 5 a.m. to count you, make sure you didn't run away in the night. You know, they tell you when to shower. They tell you when to eat. You're wearing a uniform. So basically, I was in jail. And it was a shock because I didn't expect that, okay? Mm -hmm. That wasn't part of my plan when I was leaving my country. That wasn't part of the American dream. And that's that. as traumatic as that experience was, it allows me today to you know, do what I do as a coach and as a speaker to let people know that sometimes things don't go as planned. And mm-hmm. I know that firsthand. <laughs> and when they don't, what do you do? What decisions do you make every single day to make sure that no matter what's going on, no matter the challenges that you, fa- you, 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 you face on the way to your dream, your goal, your desire, what decisions are you making? And those do those decisions lead you to the destination or taking you back to what we like to call comfort zone or safety zone? For me, it would have been my country where I was welcomed. I wasn't treated as a criminal. You know, I knew the language. I knew people. You know, but what I wanted was not in that comfortable zone. And today I know that it takes a lot of courage Mm-hmm. to make to continue it takes a lot of courage to keep going after all the clients or the people you have spoken to have said no to your offer as an entrepreneur for example yeah and i'm grateful for that journey as traumatic as it was it has allowed me to be at this place today where i know anything is possible did you you always wanted to come to america what was no, your vision actually, for coming no yeah. actually it wasn't like a long time dream it was Something that happened because I was at a space where back home I was doing a few things. I was, you know, running a small business. I was doing some TV, some radio, and I just felt that it wasn't big enough for what I wanted. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't going to have the level that I wanted. I didn't, I didn't see me in, you know, sharing my message, message around the world from that space. Mm -hmm. And when the idea of moving, going to a different place and grow a little bit more came to place, of course, America was my first option because we were sold 
that in America anything is possible. Yes. We are sold that story, right? So oh, I bought into the story. <laughs> <laughs> I bought into the story. So I said, okay, I have to go somewhere. It's going to be there. I have family in France. I have my sister in Canada. It made sense to go there. But you listen, what makes sense is not always what you need to do in life, right? So I went, I came here. That That's how it happened. It wasn't a long time dream, but it was kind of, the next step for me, logical step at that point. Yeah. So that, that brings me to an interesting point because we're sold that in America too, as far as, <laughs> you know, the American dream, or you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and become anything you want, but we're not really told how to attain it or to work for it or, or, or even look for what we want, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's interesting the rest of the world has that too, that idea of America. And um, I think what you do is probably try to help people figure that part of it out, that the working for it and what you want type of, of thing that Americans don't really do on their own. I shouldn't say I mean, all Americans. So I, <laughs> I'm just saying that there are some people who have, who grow up and I don't think they say they want certain things and then, they're upset when they don't get them, but you know, they're not really working for it either. Mm. Yes. Basically that is the story of our journey on this earth, mm -hmm. right? We have different dreams and to be honest, the American dream means different things to different people. It's like any other dream. My, for example, my idea of success might not be the same idea of success that you have. Mm -hmm. My idea of a dream life might look completely different from what a dream life looks like for you. And that's really the first step I help people take. It's owning what it is that you really want. Right. Because sometimes we buy into someone else's dream. We mm -hmm. buy into someone else's story. We buy into someone else's idea of what things should look like. Yeah. And we miss what it is that we really want. We do not remember what we really want. And we are not even okay with what we want because sometimes it doesn't look like what our neighbor wants. And we live in a world where we need so much to belong that even that is a problem. If I want something different now, all of a sudden, it feels as if I'm an outcast. Yeah. So my, my, my job really is to take people in, on a journey of first owning what they want and be okay with it and understand that what you want is good enough. It doesn't have to be understood by everyone else around you. And it's okay if they do not because they don't have to. I, I think that's a great lesson because I think a lot of people growing up, what they do is think about what other people want. They think what they want is what other people want or, you know, getting their parents adulation or, or other people to look at them and say, oh, they're a success or this or that. When they're not really looking at what's inside, mm. uh, what would make them happy? Mm. And I, I think that's uh, that's an important part of that whole story is in what you're saying that people tend to – I think people just tend to not know what they want because they're always just going forward. They forget. It, I think that's true, yeah. They forget because we grow up in an environment where 
we need to to fit. Mm-hmm. So in that need to fit, in that need to belong, in that need to be a part of something, we want to identify, you know, to other people. So we forget what we want because we try so hard to be accepted. Yeah. And to be accepted, we start doing the things that we believe will make us accepted. We start doing the things that we believe will make us be liked, be approved. And I think women go through that more than anyone else because there is a long list of what a good girl should do or shouldn't do. So we try so hard to be a good girl that it's so hard to remember what you really want because you don't even know if it's okay at all to begin with. Yeah. Because from a very young age that you are told, don't do this, don't, this is not okay. This is, so you don't know if what you want is even okay for you to want it. So it's safer for you to look at what other people are doing and nobody, and everybody's proud of them. And you'll be like, okay, if I do that, I'm sure people will like me too. If I do that, I will not get in trouble. But if I do what I want, I don't know. It's not safe. What if people reject me? What if people don't like me after that? What if people find that it's crazy? And it's, it takes courage to overcome all those what ifs mm-hmm. and stand in our truth and in our power and say, you know what? It might look different. It might sound different, but this is what I want. Yeah. When you were detained, did you hit a low point or did you always just have that vision in your head that I'm going to get through this and I'm going to make something of myself here. Cause that's why I'm here. I, I wish I were that strong, powerful woman in there all the time, <laughs> but I wasn't. So to be honest, I was, I think I touched my lowest point more times than I can count. Yeah. Okay. I cried so much. <laughs> I don't remember ever crying that much in my whole entire life because it was, something I never, ever thought I could be able to handle. You know, sometimes I share that story on the stage and people, you know, think of me and as somebody so strong and they look and like, you did it. There's no way I can do that. Yeah, I thought the same way. I thought I could never do something like that. If somebody had told me, you know, when I was leaving my country, okay, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be arrested at the airport and sent to jail for nine months before, I'll be like, you kidding. I would never survive one day in jail. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that's what happens to us. We don't see, we don't know what we are really capable of. We don't give ourselves enough credit. Yeah. Right. Until we are in a place where we have to tap within ourselves to find the strength and the power to do the things that we thought impossible. So I was in that space, you know, wondering what was happening crying anytime I got a chance to cry, which was a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And some way, somehow, I will decide, I will make that decision that maybe just, I had no guarantee. First of all, I met other, you know, women there. They came different ways. Not, you know, all of them came from the airport, but they had different stories. And some of them were there for years, some two years which for me sounded crazy. In the first week, I thought I was going to die if I don't go back home. It was insane. So when I would hear somebody tell me I've been here for two years, for me, it was just out of this world. Like, what is that? There's no way. It's never possible for somebody to be here for two, two years. But they would tell me, 
that guessing. This is how it goes here. People who come here either got, get deported at the end of the process or if you are lucky, you either get somebody to sponsor you and you are, you are released on parole and you continue your case outside or you get released on bond and if you have somebody to pay for it, you, same thing, you get released and you continue your case outside. So those are your three options. There is no way for you to leave this place after you have won and you have been granted the right to stay in this country. doesn't happen. So did somebody sponsor you? How did you end up? Exactly. That's where I'm going. Yes. So that's what I I was told by the people who were there who were trying to make me, you know, trying to prepare me the best they could. They were really supportive. And if they were not there, I think I would have just gone back maybe the next day. But they were there telling me, you know what? Your story is crazy. You shouldn't be here. We know why we are here, but your story doesn't make sense. But there is a way, and I just I couldn't see it. But when I was looking at them and hearing their stories, some way, somehow, I felt as if giving up was not only giving up on myself, but on them because they were fighting so hard, right? And also what happened, and today I can look back and see how that story, that journey is so similar to the journey of life in general. Because sometimes we start a new journey. We get in a place where maybe you say, I quit my job and I'm going to go start my business. And you find people who tell you this entrepreneurship thing, let me tell you how it goes. You need three years before you start making any money. This is how it works. There is no way you are going to make this happen. And and they tell you all the things, not because they are mean, but because they are sharing the experience. And then now I know better because from that place, they told me that it was, it was their experience. They were not lying to me. They were not trying to be mean. But what happened is that without a lawyer, I was able, because of course I didn't uh, have, so they gave me a $20,000 bond that obviously I couldn't pay. And so I had to stay there and finish my case. And I didn't, get uh, released on parole. My brother was able to find a friend in Washington who was willing to sponsor me to be released on parole, but they rejected that that request because for some reason, the person at the airport mentioned in my file that my visa was fake, which I had to fight in court and it was proven that it wasn't. But that's why I wasn't released on parole. So I had to either pay $20,000 or fight my case while I was there when they told me it was impossible to win that case to begin with. But I won with no lawyer, right? And the moment I won that, when I came back, I remember when I came back from court that day and I told them I was so excited. I was like, I'm leaving. They were like, what are you talking about? Did you pay the 20,000? I said, no, I did not. I won the case. They didn't believe me. They were like, oh, come on, stop telling us. I had to show them the paper from court for them to believe me. And everybody was shouting and screaming. But the thing is, from that moment, at least three other people after me that I know of won their case. And it's so interesting because today I tell people, when I tell my clients, for example, it's impossible until somebody makes it possible. It's because of that experience. Where I know people sometimes tell you things out of their experience, but until somebody creates a new experience, it will, be, it will stay a story of something that is impossible to do. And you can be that person. You can be that person who can do 
the one thing that everybody thought was impossible, but it takes courage to show up and not sit on that. Oh, you know what? There's no point for me to even fight because they already told me doesn't, it's not going to work. What if you can make it work? Takes a lot of persistence, I would assume, though, right? I mean, as far as there's probably people who start something. Do, do you find that when you're you're coaching people that people yes. start and they're like, you know what? It's been a week and nothing's changed in my life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and that's why I speak on courage because yeah. it takes courage, really, to to look at something that you with that has no way out. You don't really see the way out, and still show up for it. You know. The courage that you need to do those things is a courage that can be built because, again, I had no idea that I could go through that experience until I went through that experience. So my job as a coach is really to remind people of their own power that sometimes we don't see until we decide to make the courageous decision to take one step. You make the courageous decision to give it a shot. You make the courageous decision to try and see what happens, right? To go through the fear because all of that is fear that is sometimes, you know what, it's not going to work because you are afraid. What if I put all this money? What if I put this all this time? What if I, you know, get everybody angry at me and at the end, it doesn't work. That fear of rejection of failure is the fear that is making us find all these reasonable reasons why we shouldn't do that thing. So the courage is to look at that fear and listen to all the people, look at, listen to all the, look at all the facts that are out there telling you and showing and proving to you that it's not possible. Take a deep breath and decide, I'm going to give it a try. Do you think people fear failure more or what other people will think? When you're dealing, when you're dealing with this, or both, I guess. Both, and uh, interestingly enough, the biggest fear that I have really, you know, see in people that I work with, is really the fear of of success. That is not the first fear that is. It's not obvious. It's really not obvious. It's more obvious to what if I fail? What are people going to think about me? You know, all those fears are obvious. But when we go deep, when we work together and we go deep, we realize that those people create goals or dreams and they never really thought about what their life will look like once they have the things they are working for. And because our brain is wired to keep us safe, if we don't know, it doesn't feel safe. So if we don't know how we are going to handle having the thing we want so bad with the thing we are working so hard to have, our brain is freaking out just from the idea of having it because we don't know what to do with that. We don't know what to do with the success that we want so much. So it's not even safe to go there. So we self-sabotage. We we create all the things to not be there. It's like people sometimes get a lot of money and all of a sudden they start having all the problems in the world and all the money is gone because it's our brain freaking out and saying, we never had this kind of money. What are we supposed to do? Who are we supposed to be? Yeah. And that's something that is important to start aligning with. 
once when you have a goal, people who are familiar with manifestation will talk about that more about aligning, but I can explain that with a logical, you know, and in a logical way. Who are you going? You know already, okay, maybe my goal is to have a business to do that, you know, whatever the, the goal is, maybe make this amount of money, maybe this number of clients, maybe this house, maybe this car. But do you know who you are going to be once you have those things? Are you ready to have that? Can you just imagine if you wake up now, you have the amount of money you're praying for in your bank account. You have the car that you're working, saving money for. You have the house that you, you know, you already trying to put money in the bank for. Do you know what you will feel? Yeah, do you but- know the person you are going to be? How do you see yourself? Do you think your friends are still going to accept you? Because that's another fear of success. Yeah, I was. My friends might not recognize me anymore. They might think I became this, I became that. That's how the fear of success shows up. Because now all of a sudden, we don't know if we can still hang out with those same friends. Are they still going to find us cool? Or now we are trying. We are going to be trying so hard to prove to them that we have not changed. And it's a lot of work. Yeah, that happens in a lot of ways. A lot of people are are afraid to change or sometimes even in their opinions because they've almost built their life around becoming, having this idea. I mean, we see it a lot in, in the political spectrum in this country where it's, you become, you know, almost in a tribe with, with whoever you're you're voting for or whatever you want to call it. But a lot of it has to do with that you built your life around this idea of yourself. And then you have friends who are in this life. And if, and if that changes, you kind of lose your sense of self in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get totally what you're saying. And I, I think about that sometimes from that point of view, you know, will I have the same friends? Will they look at me differently? And again, that's, that's actually a fear of what others think of you, right? If, if your friends have a problem with you doing well and, and not having money, that's more of a issue that they have within themselves, but we don't see it that way. Yes. And it's again, just our need to fit. Yeah. Our need to belong. We don't want to lose that safety. And, just out of curiosity, what is so wrong about having new friends? Nothing. It's just, it, it's what you said. It's in the mind. You're used to, you get used to patterns and your brain wants to protect you like you're kind of saying. So if I know the patterns, I know I'm safe you mm-hmm. know, internally. Um, and then once the pattern breaks, you get a little bit of anxiety that kicks mm-hmm. in and mm-hmm. then your brain starts telling you crazy stuff, why you can't do mm-hmm. it or, you know, why this is a bad idea or why you don't have enough time to, to do this or that. And that's, mm. that's really what it is. It's probably just not well thought out. You're just yes. going with the emotion. And it's so interesting that you mentioned politics, which yeah. I do not do, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I want to piggyback on that to just speak on leadership in general. Yeah. It takes courage to be a leader because the patterns we are talking about is the need to be part of a group, part of the crowd. To be a leader, you need to step out, to stand out. And it takes courage to do that. 
it's easier, way easier to just fit in, yeah. to just be a part of the group, to just be complaining with everyone else, to just be happy with everyone else, to just be with everyone else. But it takes courage while everyone else is complaining to stand out and say, wait a minute, we don't need to be sitting here and complaining. We can actually do something about it. And this is what we can do. And now we start showing, you start showing something else, a different perspective that the whole group didn't see. And maybe it's not even ready to see. And it takes courage because sometimes we even have those thoughts within. Sometimes we are part of a conversation. We are part of a group of friends. We already know, we already feel in our body. We already have those ideas that I have outgrown this group. Not, not that they are bad people or they're not good enough, but you are just in a different space. Yeah. You just see things differently. Right. And now the fear is, do I need just this feeling good of being a part of this group? Or do I have the courage to say how I see things? And if it's different, do I have the courage to follow through regardless? Or it's just safer and easier for me to stay here and not say anything and act like everyone else. And it takes leadership to be able to stand alone. Leaders usually start something first. Nobody understands at first. And eventually, it start making sense to other people, and they eventually join or not. Yeah, and I think sometimes what what they do, a leader in that sense, might have an idea. They speak up, and then somebody else goes, "Oh, maybe it, maybe that idea was okay." I always kind of felt that way, but I never wanted to be the one to say it. And that's what a leader is doing, right? They're mm-hmm. they're the first one, like you said, to to have that idea, and then gradually either people will say i always kind of thought that or somebody will start thinking about it the wheels will start turning you know we have all this media and all all these ways of spreading ideas and we've been it's been very tough it's been going on for a long time just the polarization in the country and and i know you don't get into politics or whatever and i I don't have to but i'm just saying (laughs) it's just i always find it funny with that stuff because you really have right you have two parties but it's like nobody agrees 100 percent with what everything somebody says so how can you just have two parties and have the same the same platform for everybody it's just it, you know. There's 370 million people in the country, so you know half of them can't have the same ideas, and the other half have the opposite ideas. It's what you said. I think you just need leaders to kind of step out, somebody who wants to solve problems. But we'll see. Yes, it can. It can be in politics or in anything else. That's true too. Yeah. See, in general, we we look at bigger pictures, and we can even relate that to our day to day lives. How many times do we feel pushed to make a choice? Why do we always feel the need to choose between the two options or the options that are given to us? Because when you are presented with options and you you feel pressure to choose from those options, you limit the ability to see something different. You limit your ability to see something different. What if there was another perspective that is not presented to you? 
like for example, you're mentioning the parties, they are presenting you to you have to choose from. Mm-hmm. What if you say, I don't believe in any of them? What if, you know, I just don't have one? Yeah. Right? So why do we always, and it is really something that we are so programmed to do. That's why it's so hard for people to accept each other. Because we come with an idea and we know that anything different than that idea is bad. So we have to choose good or bad, right or wrong. And there is no room for what if there was just no right or wrong? What if there were just different ideas, different opinions, different way of doing things, different people without one being good and the other one being bad without me having to choose. Mm-hmm. And I keep, I believe that's where we are called to be at this moment with all this polarization, the division, there is always a good reason to fight about something. And why do we need to join the fight? I was asking one of my clan the other day, she was talking about what's going on in Ukraine and, you know, and all the things to the, the, the racism still happening, even in the midst of all of that. And then I said, it's easy to pick a side because that's what we have been pressured to do. That's what the medias and everything around us is pushing us to do. We have, we are presented a villain. We are presented a victim. We have to choose our side. Right. Well, the media is just trying to get ad revenue at the end of the day or whatever they're doing. And you have to be. Yeah, it can be the media. It can be the politicians, whoever they are. But now, as how sovereign are we in our personal power to decide that I don't have to choose? Yeah. I don't have to join the fight. I don't have to be a part of it. Right. I don't care what you're telling me. I don't care what is happening. If I don't feel called to fight and point fingers or judge or, you know, or pray for people to be punished, I don't want to join the fight. And it's okay. Yeah. Without people looking at you and be like, so you don't mean you mean, so you mean you don't feel sorry for, for the poor people. What makes it wrong? Yeah. And it's, that's the thing. That's why I said the polarization is big. It's around everywhere. And it just comes down to, our personal connection with ourselves. What do you feel called to do? Not what is expected from you because expectations are everywhere. Everybody expects people to act a certain way. And if they don't, they are seen a certain way, but the pressure is so high that it takes you to have the courage to stand out and, and choose if that's what you're called. If you want to join the fight, so be it. But it has to come from you deciding to take to join the fight not feeling pressure to join the fight and we can't speak on that on anything else you know it's people fighting over masks why are you wearing a mask why are you not wearing a mask why can't i just do whatever i want right yes now why you don't care you're selfish again just deciding for people just letting people know what they should do having to choose having to decide never giving room to people to think about what they want, which comes down to what we're talking about at the beginning. People don't remember what they want. Yeah. How can they, if they don't have space to think for themselves when they have been told what to think, 
how to act, what to do all day, every day in any situation. How can they remember what they want? Because maybe what they want is so wrong for the other people that they don't even dare to want that anymore. Did you have this kind of outlook before? Did you always have that kind of outlook? Or did this develop after? No, it has developed. I was a fighter. (laughs) I was a real fighter. I was really, you know, in the right or wrong conversation and, you know, wanting people to pay for the wrong things they do. And it took me, you know, a personal healing journey and spiritual journey to own that First of all, how I feel, nobody's responsible of that. I love, I, I remember one of my girlfriends because I always tell her this, you know, you, whatever is going on, look in the mirror. The person you see in the mirror is responsible and can handle it. You know, for me, it's personal power and I had to develop it. I didn't wake up and I didn't or have not always been this person. But I took that journey because I wanted to regain my power over myself. And it took me to realize that every emotion that I have, it comes from me. Nobody's making me feel angry. Nobody's making me feel sad. Nobody's making me upset. It's me. I know it's annoying. As I was saying, my girlfriend one day told me because she was, I know, I know exactly what you're going to tell me. That if I'm upset, I have to, you know, deal with my emotions. But I agree with me that we can have just some people are just assholes, right? I hope I can say that. Yeah, too. you could. Oh, yeah. You she can said, say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> she said, but you have to agree with me. Some people are just assholes, and I was cracking up. Yes, some people are, and so what? Why what people are or what people do? have control over you, how you feel. Yeah. If you're I, holding, there I is this image that I love before you go. If you're holding a cup of coffee and somebody comes and, you know, pushes you and you spill the coffee on your sh- white shirt, what is the first reaction? What are you doing? You messed up my shirt, right? Yeah. But did they? If you're, you were holding a glass of water it, your shirt will just be wet not dirty yeah right so that you are dirty not because of them because you were holding coffee to begin with i might still call so what asshole, people though. yeah so what <laughs> people do they're assholes yes but the reason why you're triggered is because you already had something in you that was meant to be triggered by their attitude yeah so my journey was to know that Every time I trigger, every time I feel any thought of emotion that I do not want, I go within and wonder what is actually making me feel this way, this angry or this frustrated or this trigger. And I find the root cause. Sometimes it's a past experience that I had in my childhood that is just was never resolved. And that person just triggered it. Yeah. We but it was there. A lot here, actually about child <laughs> about uh, defense mechanisms that always uh, end up coming back to haunt you you know exactly if you, if you don't look for that sometimes yeah you know just because when you're a kid you figure out how to how to stop that bad feeling and you kind of carry that unless you deal with it you you just end up carrying it with you yeah. so 
And it's and also nobody told us. Yeah, nobody told us what to do with our emotions, anyways. Oh well, I I have conversation. I mean, I wish two things. I wish in school they did a little more on teaching kids how to deal with their emotions, maybe instead of you know all the all the the dots they have to do for math. Really, <laughs> 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 they have these weird counters. <laughs> and I think mental health would be great for for children to have better access to mm -hmm. because that's where you really have to learn to deal with that stuff or else you yes. just carry it with you and then exactly and then you know so that's what we're doing we're just it. adults walking around with our unresolved emotions and we trigger each other and instead of us you know going back and killing the little boy little girl or little person within ourselves we find the assholes we blame him yeah right has to be someone else's fault, right? But how powerful is that if how you feel is in somebody, someone else's hands? That's true. I think it feels better. I mean, it's annoying. I get it. Even myself, I was annoyed at first with that idea, like just let people do whatever and don't make them responsible or accountable. I don't care. I want to feel empowered. I want to be in my power. I want to be in control of me. I want to feel good. And I don't want my happiness or my joy or my peace to be dependable of someone else's behavior. Because what if that person never changes? Yeah. What if that person never does something better or different? So I'm stuck in this place. I don't want that. Well, plus it's good to have a little empathy. I mean, the guy who spilled coffee on you walking by, he probably wasn't intending to do it, right? I mean, he might be having a bad morning himself unless he comes and just takes it out of your hands and throws it on you. That's a little different. But we have to be able to put ourselves in, in other people's shoes as well. I always think that when I'm when I'm driving and I get angry. You know, if somebody somebody cut you off and you could see it was an accident, you still you know, especially in a car, everybody gets like everybody has big muscles in a car all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm like, geez, he just made a mistake, you know, after I get mad about it. Like, the guy just made a mistake. I've done it. You know, but we tend to not put ourselves in other people's shoes that way. And I love that you, you mentioned that you took that example because triggers in general or the things that we can't stand about other people are the things that we can't stand about ourselves. Oh, yeah. That's so that's why point. I say I love the example. You say, after I get angry, I, I have done that, you know, that self, but we don't realize it. The exact, the exact things that we can't stand from other people, if we are honest, we have either done it and never forgave ourselves for doing it. That's why we can't forgive them because they are reminding us of what we have done. We don't want to see that. And or we know deep down there we are capable of doing that. And that person doing that, giving themselves permission to do the things or say the things that we will never dare to say or do is triggering. It's triggering. Like, how dare you do something that I don't do? If we are honest, that's really what triggers are. We yeah. look at people and we just don't understand how they dare to do the things that we should be. We don't give ourselves permission to do and we can't stand it because it's a reminder of us not being in our power enough to do what we want. So when somebody is doing exactly what they want next to us, it's triggering. Like, what do, who do they think they are? How dare they? 
think jealousy plays into that. Like, I wish I would. Deep down inside, I see that a lot in people <laughs> when they get upset. You, let's go back to, like, uh, a friend who has success. Sometimes you can see somebody's not as happy for them probably as they should be. But I, I don't know. I feel like jealousy, this this um, in the subconscious, there's sometimes jealousy for people, whether it's it's that what you're talking about where somebody says I would never do that but deep down they wish they kind of were like that I wish mm. I wish I wasn't so uptight I wish I was a free soul like this person who just says what they want and mm-hmm. you know on the outside I'll just say like oh that person just talks too much or does whatever but I think sometimes there's a jealousy inside that yeah, but je- that's like what that. jealousy is jealousy I remember when I was a little girl we used to say this funny thing saying uh, jealous people are just incapable people yeah Yes, you know, we're little kids making that, you know, somebody says something mean to you, like, you're just jealous, and jealous people are just incapable people. That's what it is. You're jealous because somebody's doing something that you wish you could do, right? So, again, it's just us being in a place where we can face our emotions, which, again, is a journey that requires courage, because I promise I can say this like now lightly, you go every time look in the mirror and always come back. But it was annoying and painful at first. Yeah. To always look when something triggers me, not make it about the other person. It's really it really takes personal responsibility, personal leadership, and a lot of courage to face it and be like, what if it's me actually? What does that mean about me? Okay, what is in me that is triggering this? If it's jealousy. Why am I jealous? Own it. Own it. Don't try to run away from it and make it about other people. And that's what, again, because we don't know how to deal with our, we don't know what to do with our emotions. We try to give it a reason. We want to explain why we feel the way we feel. We forget that emotions are not rational. I was going to say that emotions just are, they're not rational at all. (laughs) You you have no clue. Yes. And they're based on so many different factors, you know, mm-hmm. in the moment. It's it's not – it doesn't even mean it's the person you are. You could be upset because I slept four hours and I missed breakfast, <laughs> you know. And yes. it's, now your emotions are totally different yeah. than what you normally are. But it, emotions are a funny thing. And that's why I think it's, it's good that you say, you know, look in the mirror and think about it. And thinking it through is – probably the greatest gift we have and thoughts are weird too right because thoughts are (laughs) you're kind of not what your thoughts are your thoughts just kind of come into your head but you have some Mm -hmm. you have to take some kind of ownership from Mm -hmm. and work yes and yes because again when emotions are not there to be rationalized but to be felt but it's scary for people to even feel their emotions yeah you know, so when you feel something, when my process of looking in the mirror is honor how you feel. Feel the emotion. Don't try to stop it because it's not, it doesn't make sense. Why are you angry? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. Feel the emotion. Feel it. Let it out. Because if you stop it, you try to rationalize. What are you doing? You're just suppressing it. It's going to come bigger. It's not disappearing because you're suppressing it. You have to honor it. You own it. You feel it. You release it. Whatever your release looks like. If you're angry, maybe go go scream in the woods. Mm-hmm. 
right? Whatever it takes for you to let it out, but do not try to wonder why it doesn't make sense, why it doesn't have to. It doesn't make sense why I'm jealous. I don't even wonder. You don't have to understand why you're feeling the way you feel. The, the fact is the emotion is in you. If you want to release it so that next time you have the same situation, you don't feel the same emotion, you have to let it out. Now, when you're talking about our thoughts, we really are not our thoughts. And one of the things that I teach my clients to do when I help them go over their, you know, over their fears and take action to do the things that they're so scared to do is to teach them how to pay attention to the conversation happening in their head. Because, yes, we are not our thoughts. That's why we said, I have a thought. I have this thought. Because you are not that thought. You have it. That means it's not you. Right? Right. We sometimes say the little voice in my head. Yeah. You notice that voice because it's not you. You noticing the voice. So one of the things that I teach my clients is to pay attention and listen to the conversation. Because sometimes we want to fight back. We want to stop it. We want to argue with the voice. And the example that I like to take is if you are, if we're having an argument now, you give your facts, I give my facts, and we keep going back and forth. Chances are we're going to do that until one of us gets upset enough and leave. Or if one of us, which I advise my clients to do, stops talking, and start listening. Listen to what the voice is telling you. Even if you don't like it, listen to it. What is happening actually is that your brain, as we were talking about the brain earlier, is there to keep you safe. So one, when you think about doing something different, something new, something that it's scary for your brain because your brain has a memory of you when you were a little boy, little girl, you know, you wanted to jump and then the Whatever happened, now you want to do something, you go, no, all the alarms are off. No, you know what happens when you try something new. Oh my gosh, don't do that. So now your brain's going to come up with all those crazy stories, crazy reasons why you shouldn't do it and show you all the bad things that can happen. That's the little voice. So when you listen, when we're arguing, right, you're telling me all the things and I'm just listening, I'm not responding. Paying attention. I'm not ignoring you, I'm listening, okay? So what happens? Eventually, you run out of argument. So you start feeling that voice, you know, going a little bit less powerful because now, okay, all the arguments are out. And the second thing that happens is that the, the brain, in that case, or the person you're arguing with, feel like you're listening, which makes them feel good, right? And at the end, when you feel like the voice is out of argument or it feels less loud you want to say you're right all those things can happen if maybe your brain is telling you what if you put invest that money and you lose it all what if you go there and people make fun of you what if you do that and you make a fool of yourself yeah you're right all those things can happen i can actually invest money and lose it because the truth is it's possible right it's possible you can yeah. go there and people make fun of me it's possible I can make a fool of myself. It's possible. I can get on that stage to deliver my presentation and I forget what I have to say. It's possible. You're right. What happens if we're arguing and I agree with you? 
Now you feel as if we're on the same side. We're on the t- like, okay, you got me. Finally, right? Okay, you feel good. Now that your brain and yourself are on the same side, you feel like in the same team, you are in a better position to give a new suggestion to your brain that is again like a computer. If you give it a command, it wants to solve to you know get to the bottom of it. Yeah, now you're in a better that. place to suggest to your brain. But what if I actually invest that money and I make profit? How cool would that be? Now your brain is looking on the same direction. The new friend is looking and be like, oh, yeah, that actually would be cool. Oh, maybe we can check it out. Yeah, I agree with you, especially in an argument situation. I found that just letting, sometimes actually just asking a question, well, why do you think that? Or why does that make you feel like that? You know, and, and like you said, they, they feel like they're being listened to and they are at that point, but mm-hmm. sometimes you can make people come to the conclusion. Maybe you want, if they think it through, or maybe you'll come to a different conclusion, mm-hmm. you know, but I've always found in those situations, I, I find in, especially in an argument type of situation, if you're just going back and forth, what ends up happening is somebody just wants to win or they walk away. And now they're throwing rationality out the window, <laughs> right? So they're going to make these terrible points just to try to win <laughs> an argument that they probably don't support at some point when they get to mm-hmm. that point. So sometimes it's good to just ask the other person why as well and just see if they can get to the same conclusion or understand why they think that way. It's okay yeah. to have a difference of opinion. Exactly. You know? So, yeah, so that's the perfect way to deal with your fears because it's going to come as a loud voice in your head to stop you. Just do the same. Yeah. Oh, please. I had a lot of those thoughts. Starting this podcast took me forever. <laughs> it took me <laughs> forever. I wanted to do it. But, you know, I have um, I have like a perfectionist trait kind of. So I have to get in you know, work. I'm working at it. And uh, I realized, you know. I'm going to I'm going to sound stupid sometimes and not everything's going to be perfect and that's all right. And yeah. maybe people want you to be to sound stupid. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I've always had a thing I just I like to be over I don't know. I just always like to be even with work and stuff I have to be over prepared or over yeah, I don't know. In my head, there's something wrong with making that mistake. But then when you make the mistake, it's usually not a big deal. And you're like, oh, why was I scared about that? Like, exactly. It didn't feel and, that and bad. Then, Somebody didn't really notice it. <laughs> Sometimes people don't even notice. No. It's all happening in our heads. All happening there. So that's the next question that you somebody can ask themselves when they are so afraid to do something is, what's the worst thing that can happen? Really? Yeah. You know, and maybe journal on that and ask and see what comes out. All the crazy things that can possibly go wrong. And uh, you will notice some at the end of that exercise that, huh, this is actually silly. <laughs> Seriously. Mm-hmm. Right? And you laugh it out and you can go do the thing that sounds so scary to begin with. Yeah. And for the people who need to have all their dogs in a row like you, I think... Maybe my story will let you know that sometimes it looks good on paper and in reality, 
things happen. So oh please, nobody. No I have a script in my head. Nobody follows it, and really, it's, you know, <laughs> it'd be a lot easier if they did. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your show a little bit. Living the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's streaming on Roku. How did you get to that point where? I guess, you know what, your story is so interesting because you went from where you didn't, you're basically imprisoned in this country, didn't know if you're going to stay here. And now you have your own show that's streaming on, on Roku. How did you get there? And where did that idea come from, living the dream? I guess you could tell us a little bit about it, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that was a little ride. As I mentioned, I came here, I couldn't, I wasn't speaking English. So the first step, basically after I left the detention center where I had a hard time because I wasn't speaking English and there was no one there speaking French. So it was a hard time for me to even communicate with people in there. But yes, so when I left, the first thing was obviously to, you know, try, I came with a little bit of money, but I knew it wouldn't last for long. And by the time I got all my documents together and everything, I started working at LAX. Yes, the same airport where wow. I almost got deported from. Full <laughs> circle. Was so in- that was so interesting. Yes. I- and I forgot. That's how traumatic the experience was. I completely, when I left from that place, I just put it somewhere in the back of my mind. I didn't want to remember it. I didn't want to. So I forgot that I the, what has happened there was just excited i got a job and the reason why i even got the job is because it was a french airline so the fact that i was speaking french was good for the passengers because my english still wasn't there but it was a good thing it was a french airline and the first time i did an arrival flight that's where the memory came back of what has happened it's because i was there helping passengers pick up their luggages and it hit me that huh never exited this airport as a passenger. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it feels like. So I'm going to do that. After I'm done with helping the passengers, I'm not going to go back, you know, straight to the office. I'm going to exit like a passenger and just have the feeling. That was over a year after I came in the country. It's like my official entrance now in the country. It was so interesting to me. So, of course, nobody knew what was going on. I was leaving my movie by myself. So I finished helping the passengers and I started following them because I didn't even know how to exit as a passenger. I knew how to exit as an employee, but as a passenger, I never did. So I started following the passengers and saw the process. And then when I arrived at the exit, I saw all those people with the flowers, with the signs, the welcome signs, waving their friends, their families. And I had goosebumps and I had tears in my eyes thinking I didn't have this. You know, nobody was excited or happy to see me coming here. So, yeah, Mm. it was an interesting moment. I went back to the office. Nobody knew what was happening. But for me, it was really an emotional moment. Like, wow, this is what it looks like, actually to enter America officially. But anyway, I worked there for two years and in less than a year, actually, I became a manager, which was never heard of in the company before. And uh, my adventurous side took over again because I knew that coming here wasn't just to get a job. 
I knew I was coming here for something more. So I decided to quit to start my, uh, to go full-time on my coaching business that I was trying to build on the side as I was working. And I wasn't making money when I decided to quit my job, which again was crazy. And it was just one of those things that I knew I had to do. As scary as it was, I remember crying on my couch one day and wondering, what is wrong with you, Krista? Like, seriously, why are you doing this to yourself? You have it so good. You know, you just came here. You have this great job, great career opportunity. What is wrong with you? Like, and after all the cries, and I, I just told to myself, I, I can't explain this, but I just know I have to do this. I, you know, I tried to quit twice because my management didn't want me to quit, but eventually they gave me a leave of absence. Interestingly enough, in, no, in October 2019, and uh, HR finally said, you know what? Okay, what if I give you a leave of, leave of absence for you to go, you know, put your business together and you come back in January 2020? So I said, yes. I had no intention to go back, but I was just trying to not, you know, be unconsiderate of her offer. And in January 2019, 2020, when I was supposed to go back, I still didn't have a client, still no money coming in. So no clue how I was going to pay my rent, pay my bills or anything. And remember, I have no family. So there's no, I'm going to go back to my mom's basement. I didn't have that option. So, but again, I just knew that that's what I was supposed to do. And I sent the email to say, I'm not coming back. Scared, again, not knowing where that was leading me to but sure enough that same week I landed my first coaching client which which was nice and interestingly enough a few months later we entered the lockdown pandemic and anyway the airport shut down right so (laughs) yeah yeah, so my colleagues thought I was crazy when I was leaving and then in March I was like oh oops I guess I was ready (laughs) but yeah so yeah so and it's actually in 2020 also that I decided to add speaking to my coaching and it was perfect timing because I think people were ready to hear that story of you know don't give up because yes sometimes things happen that you never saw coming like I didn't see myself going to jail Nobody saw the pandemic coming. Nobody saw the lockdown coming. No businesses knew they would have to shut down or anything like that. But guess what? There is light at the end of the tunnel, some way, somehow. So that's how, again, that's how I started sharing my story, which again, wasn't planned. I I was just interviewed on a podcast and it just came out of me. (laughs) Just like that. That's how I knew I was ready. I was healed from the trauma and I was able now to use that story to encourage other people and let them know that they have what it takes. They are stronger than they think they are. They are more resourceful than they think they are. And there is light at the end of the tunnel. So, yes. And for the TV show, that's just my first love. As I mentioned, I was doing TV and radio back home. So I think it was time for me Last year, this year, actually, yeah, this year I decided, no, last year I decided to go back to my first love and start TV show again. And 
when I, before I was doing a podcast and I was interviewing entrepreneurs because that's what I do. I coach entrepreneurs and I was just interviewing entrepreneurs to support them. And, but when I decided to do a TV show, I, uh, I didn't want it to be another TV show. I wanted, I wanted it to be unique. Yes. Uh, it's motivational, but not a random motivational TV show where you just interview people who have made it. I wanted it to be specific, a little bit connected to my journey as an immigrant, you know, who came here for the American dream, went through all the challenges that you can think of and who eventually has made it her, has made her dream. Right. So I, on that show, living the dream, the idea is really to interview immigrant women from Africa and the Caribbean who moved here to America and what it took for them to start living their dream mm-hmm. as entrepreneurs, artists, uh, you know, so what does it actually take? And uh, I specifically chose entrepreneurs and artists because when you're an immigrant, you, especially from Africa and the Caribbean, we are really similar. You come here, they tell you have three or two or three options. You have to become a nurse, a doctor, or do uh, IT because that's where the money is and that's what you do to make the money. There is really no room for you to dream and think of doing something outside of that. So for the people who came here and had the courage to start a business, maybe create jobs and, you know, become artists, actresses and Hollywood and things like or singers, things like that, I know what it takes, first of all, as an immigrant, you know, as a woman. And on top of that, coming from a community where those things are not even seen as valuable, the challenge to, again, stand out from the belief system of your community, of, you know, the expectation from your family and all of that to be able to make it happen. So that's the journeys that I want to be shared, again, to just show what's possible, show what's available, because if we can do it, I guess everybody can. How many episodes do you have out so far? I have four episodes so far, and yes, I'm on the process to recording four more. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's great. How did you, um, did you approach Roku about that? How, did, how does that work? Oh, there was a, there's a lady who helps uh, people get a channel on Roku. So I actually have a whole channel, but mm-hmm. it's only my show that is there for now. And, you know, want to have other people have their shows there if they're interested. But yes, yeah, so she's handling, I'm not a techie person. I don't know how <laughs> it works. So <laughs> yeah. I just hired somebody who set up the channel for me. And that's how uh-huh. it's there. The channel is called Freedom to Courage. Okay. All right. So I would just have to look up. I have a Roku yeah, you go on Roku, search the channel Freedom to Courage, you will see Living the Dream. And how would people find you uh, for coaching? Yes, for coaching, if somebody's interested for coaching, uh, I have a discovery call that I love to call Courage Boost Session, a 30 minutes complimentary call where we can, you know, go through whatever challenge they're experiencing and we can assess what they need to do to overcome any fear that they can that is, can be holding them back. Mm-hmm. That is 30 minutes that I offer for free. The link is going to be available for on this episode for your audience. 
And other than that, if you prefer social media, if you don't want to talk to me on the phone right away, that's fine. You can just, you know, message me on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn, whatever works for you. My name over there on every platform is Crystal Biga. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-E-L-L-E. Biga is B-I-I-G-A. I bet you probably get more more hits on Instagram in these places than somebody. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) Well, thank you for talking with me and taking some time out of your, your busy day. I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you for a great conversation and um, we'll see where you are in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Thank you. Me too. Thank you. That's it for the With Jay Burke Show. Check out uh, Christelle Biga. Make sure to say that right this time. Did I say good? Yes. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) And we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Everything.